Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church. And I'm Bryn. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, Ethan, I've got a joke. You want to hear it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Ethan, Ethan, what do you call a female pastor? I don't know, Bryn, what do you call a female pastor? A pastor, you misogynist. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Okay, I Take think we need it. <laughs> We need to pray, I think. 
friends, every week before we jump into the sermon, we usually take some time just to set aside the distractions in our lives and invite God to speak to us in new and unique ways. And so here before we jump into a tricky passage, uh, let's do that. Let's just take a moment and quiet our hearts, ask the Spirit to speak to us uh, so that we can better know and understand and love God. Uh, after a moment, I'll pray. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for always being near to us. Thank you for being a Lord who loves us and calls us by name. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us and compel us today in new and unique ways. Bring us closer to your heart so that we can better love you and love our neighbor as well. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Women be silent in the church. That's a bit of a doozy. Who has never heard that passage before? Or who's never heard that read in church before? Or how many of us know that passages like that exist in the Bible, but we kind of just pretend they're not there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Passages like this one are tough. Women be silent. So I guess this sermon's up to you, Ethan. Thank you, Bryn. <laughs> no, right? Obviously, I am up here. I'm up here a lot of the time. I talk in a microphone. Being a lead pastor would be really tough if our church believed that I had to do it silently. But passages like the one that Shilpa read can be really hard to wrap our minds around. And they've been the source of a lot of debate and confusion, even division and pain in the church for hundreds of years. And so this morning, Ethan and I are co-preaching for the first time, super excited about that, as we continue with our sermon series, Elephants in the Church, Hot Topics in the Corinthian Letters, with a look at what the Apostle Paul had to say about women, and Ethan is really revealing the punchline with his shirt here. Guess where we're going with this sermon. <laughs> says, listen to women preach. Now friends, to be fair, this debate about women's roles uh, isn't just an issue in the church. And it can't just be something that we cast aside as irrelevant or like we've already figured it out. This is far from a settled matter in our culture. We are six weeks into the new year, and 2024 has already had all kinds of controversies about successful, influential women. There's the Barbie movie controversy. The Barbie movie was directed by a woman, Greta Gerwig, and it starred a woman, Margot Robbie, as the lead role of Barbie. It broke box office world records. It touched millions of people around the world as it showed how our society is still largely dominated by men. And neither of those two women were nominated for any awards at the Oscars. But Ryan Gosling, the man who played Ken, was nominated. So is this simply just the reality of people being nominated for different categories, or was it evidence of the patriarchy deep at work even within the entertainment industry? And we can't forget, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and everyone is gearing up to watch the 49ers play against Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> and there is all this outrage among male football fans about how many times Swift gets shown on camera when she goes to, to the Chiefs games to watch her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, play. So what's with the B and all the football fans' bonnets? I like imagining them all in bonnets. <laughs> 
ma- I made that last Did night. Did you make I, that? Yeah, I made that wow. last night. Nice. I was like, I can put bonnets on them. Um, <laughs> thanks, graphic design. Uh, so commentators are saying that Taylor is embodying, she embodies an image of a woman who is powerful and successful, and her fame and her stardom is overshadowing the NFL players, including her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, And so the the reactions and the rage actually have nothing to do with football and are more to do with what Taylor and Travis signal about the future of women and men in America. And, of course, all these internet controversies, they can be nuanced and complicated. There's backlash to the backlash to the backlash, and they can seem really distant at some time. But it just goes to show that our, our culture is still asking the question, even if it's subconsciously, what is a woman's role? And whose job is it to decide? It was so fascinating. I was watching some news coverage on this whole Taylor Swift of the Super Bowl thing. And at one point, the news anchor spoke directly to all the male fans who had a problem with this. She said, now, if you see this coverage and you still say, I still don't care, I still shouldn't have to look at her during the game, remember this. Taylor isn't going to hear those harsh words or derogatory comments. But your wives, your sisters, your daughters sure will. They made it personal. Yeah, they made it personal. And this is so important. When I was in seminary, I was already serving as a pastor. I was helping to plant this church. And sometimes in my seminary classes, students would bring up this debate about whether or not God would call a woman into church leadership. And that question would kind of get my hackles raised a little bit. And so sometimes my well-meaning professors and peers and colleagues would reassure me. They would say, relax. This isn't about you. It's about theology. It's about women. This isn't personal. As if that question didn't have very real implications on the trajectory of my life. For me and for so many of us, this question about women's roles in church and in society, it's, it's deeply personal. Because theology is personal. I mean, think about it like this, right? Uh, The average church membership is 60% women and 40% men. So this is the only kind of marginalization in the church that affects the majority of a church church membership. Isn't that crazy? Some of us feel this deeply. Some of us were raised in church traditions that limited women's roles, sometimes in small ways and sometimes in really big ways. And some of us maybe never really thought about it before. Maybe when we were growing up, we just uh, agreed with it. For many Christians, though, these limits have caused pain, confusion, even sometimes disenfranchisement with the Christian faith. Or or maybe we weren't taught those things explicitly about gender roles, but the, the cultural messages that we received still implicitly suggested that women and men are supposed to swim in different lanes. For example, I grew up in Oklahoma, and you would be pretty hard-pressed to find many women in pastoral ministry or leadership in Oklahoma. And I can't speak for all of Christians and all churches in Oklahoma, but from my experience, it was an incredibly male-dominated space. Women could help, sure, but not lead. Even though I knew so many women who wanted to serve the Lord and live into the ways that God had gifted and called them, they didn't feel that they were able to do that. Now, I was blessed to grow up in a house where that wasn't the case, where I saw both my dad and my mom faithfully serve the Lord in ministry for years. But my culture around me certainly gave me a different message. And so I had to choose which message to pay attention to. 
what I saw at home or what I saw in the culture around me. Because what we do or don't pay attention to affects how we live. And I also want to say, before we get more into this topic, that there is absolutely nothing wrong with living into the traditional roles uh, that we see in our society if that is where your gifts or desires or skills or life season may have you. This isn't a sermon saying women should never be stay-at-home moms or that men are just the worst if they have career goals or ambitions. If you've chosen that path and you feel called to that path, then wonderful. We're just saying that God has gifted and called each of us in unique and wonderful ways. And sometimes the culture that we grew up in or that we currently live in has caused pain or made some people feel like they can't live into those callings. So maybe we were given certain messages while we were growing up, implicitly or explicitly, or, or maybe you're like me, and growing up you were taught that women and men could do the same things in the church. Women could do anything that men could do in the church. But passages like our passage this morning were still confusing to you. For some of us, there's this tension between believing that the Bible is the word of God and also wanting to just dismiss certain parts of it that seem outdated or oppressive or hard to understand. So if you're like me and you come with a lifetime of support for women in leadership and you've still had wrestling matches with certain parts of the Bible, you are not alone. Wherever we are on this journey, however we treat this question, even subconsciously, has real-life implications on how we live, how we see ourselves or the women around us, and the expectations that we place on women and men in every sector of society. And I think it's also really important to say that we both know and love people who read these same passages in the Bible that we're about to talk about today and come to very different conclusions about what they say. It is possible to hold a high view of Scripture as 100% God-breathed, inspired and ordained by the Holy Spirit, and useful for all teaching, like we do, and still disagree, passionately sometimes, about what it says. So our hope this morning isn't to just obliterate people who think differently from us, but to invite in a conversation, to wrestle with the Bible, to explore and to get curious about what Scripture says while in a loving relationship together as siblings in Christ, even when we disagree. Now, there are a handful of passages in the Bible that some churches point to to justify a particular position about women, and we could spend all day talking these through. Honestly, we kind of tried. Our first draft of this sermon was 10,000 words long. He is not, he is not kidding. We had to cut more than half of it. <laughs> We've got a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this morning we are going to get razor focused. We are going to uh, focus our passage on our passage this morning from 1 Corinthians chapters 11 and 14 and what they are and what they aren't saying about women. So sometimes Paul can get a bit of a bad rap for being a misogynist. But if we dig a little deeper, we may come to see that Paul elevates the status of women uh, very much so relative to his culture. He affirms their gifts. And in fact, I think Paul is one of the most progressive writers of his era when it comes to the role of women. So with all that in mind, go ahead and open up with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. So put your finger on that for a second. Whenever we come across a tricky passage in the Bible, there are a few things that we can do. For instance, we can look for guidance in the Barbie movie. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the Barbie movie was a wild success. It made over a billion dollars in the box office. Who saw the Barbie movie? 
Lots, lots of us saw the Barbie movie. Okay, so, so do you think that the Barbie movie would have been so successful in 1957 as it was in 2023? Definitely. Special effects in the 50s were horrible. <laughs> okay, so take the special effects out of it. Okay. I don't think that the Barbie movie would have made sense to them in 1957 because Barbie dolls had not been invented yet. Part of the movie's success was that it appealed to our nostalgia and our opinions, for better and for worse, about Barbie dolls. And even bigger than that, the, the Barbie movie was a larger commentary about modern day culture. Greta Gerwig wrote the movie with a specific audience in mind, an audience who would get all the references and the parodies. So if we were still watching movies 2,000 years from now. In 4024. And they dug up the Barbie movie and they tried to watch it. They wouldn't really get it unless they did a little bit of a study on what was happening in Western culture in 2023. They'd have to do a study on the social impact of Barbie dolls, our cultural trends and references, our sense of humor and satire. Yeah, so imagine if they watched the Barbie movie and they took all of it literally and they thought that some people's job in 2023 was just beach. <laughs> exactly. All of that is true of 1 Corinthians as well. This was a letter that was written to a specific church in a specific culture. When Paul wrote the letter, he had specific people in mind who would understand all the references. So we have to understand it in context. We have to look at what was happening in Corinth at the time. Otherwise, we are in danger of misunderstanding and applying something that was intended to be about a specific circumstance to all circumstances. So to understand what God is trying to tell us through this passage, we need to study it well. All right, enough preamble and prefacing. Let's just jump into the passage. In the first passage uh, today from chapter 11, Paul starts talking a whole lot about men and women, head coverings and heads, hair, like lots about hair, way more than you'd expect in your regular scripture reading on a Sunday. So what's going on? All right, so let's zoom out and look at what was happening in the whole of the letter. And if you've been with us this year, you already are familiar with Corinthians, what was happening in Corinth at the time. But we'll just do a little recap. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Allie unpacked 1 Corinthians 10, which talks about our freedom in Christ. Paul writes this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So Paul is essentially saying, hey, good news, everyone. In Christ, you are free. You are free of the old expectations, the old paradigms, the old social constructs. Yes, and? You have the right to do anything you want. But now that you are in Christ, your priority needs to be on sharing the gospel. So make sure that in your new freedom, you are not doing anything that could get confusing to people or distracting about who Jesus really is. So for instance, to use a very holy and reverent example, you are totally free to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich anytime you want. Anytime you want. But like if your neighbor has a pretty severe airborne nut allergy, maybe don't eat that sandwich as you stand right in front of them telling them about Jesus. Don't let your sandwich be a distraction from the gospel. Real life conduct. Real life situation. <laughs> That's Bible right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paul 
Paul is reminding the church that their actions might be perceived in a way that actually hinders people from seriously considering the claims of Christ instead of drawing them in. And then, do you know, Ethan, do you know what he starts talking about exactly one sentence later? I'll bite, Bryn. What does he start talking about one sentence after that? That's when he brings up the heads and the head coverings and the hair. He starts talking about what to do with your hairstyle and worship services. And when you look at it in context, Paul is just continuing the same line of thought as before. What we do with our freedom matters to how we're representing Christ to our culture. So in Jewish culture back then, and in some parts of Greco-Roman culture, women would wear head coverings everywhere that they went. Just like in our culture, we wear shirts to church. We probably wouldn't come to church without some kind of shirt on. This isn't a beach in France. It would have been... Ethan didn't want me to say that. But you just... Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> We're all wearing shirts, okay? Yeah. So back then, it would have been wildly improper in that culture for women not to wear head coverings in services. And so it turns out... Some women in the Corinthian church weren't wearing head coverings. Scandal, Bryn. So Paul, Paul is like, hey, you have every right to take off your head covering. But think about what that's going to communicate to your culture. It will be confusing. It could become a distraction or a barrier to others ever listening to what you have to say about Jesus. The main point here isn't how to wear your hair or whether or not you need to wear hats in every church everywhere for all time. Which is why we see a lot of hair, different hairstyles here and oddly no head coverings in here. The hair and head coverings thing was just one example of Paul's larger point about whether or not we're reflecting Christ to our culture or if in the freedom that we have to live in a new way, we are becoming a distraction to the gospel. Paul's like, hey, here's an idea. How about don't create scandals when you're trying to talk about Jesus? Pretty good rule to live by. But there's something really important for us to notice in this passage. After talking about head coverings and social etiquette, after talking about the culture around them, Paul switches from the social to the spiritual. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent from man, nor is man independent from woman. For as woman came from man, also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. After talking about this social etiquette, Paul goes out of his way to say, but regardless of what the culture around us says, in the Lord, in the eyes of God, the way that God designed it to be from creation to now, we are all equal. In the eyes of God, we are, man isn't above woman, woman isn't above man, we all come from God. And both are called to participate in the ministry and leadership of the church. There's a lot of stuff happening in this passage, so it might be easy for us to miss it. But let's take a look at verses 4 and 5 real quick. Paul gives both the men and the women instructions on how they should pray and prophesy in the church. Not if they should pray or prophesy in the church, but how. Because they're obviously doing it. And remember, Paul is replying to the Corinthians about problems that they wrote to him about. And apparently this was one of them. So this would have been the perfect moment for Paul to say, whoa, 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 hold on. Women are praying and prophesying in your church? They shouldn't be doing that. Women, do not pray or prophesy in the church. Good, glad we talked about that. But he doesn't say that, not even a little bit. Instead, he offers both the women and the men some guidance on how they should pray and prophesy in the church because in the Lord, women and men are equal. 
So if that's what it says in chapter 11, then why does Paul say in chapter 14, women be silent in the church? Man, if only this verse were part of a bigger line of thought that could give us some more context. Wait a second. It is, Bryn. Last week, Dr. Amy Hughes, who's over there, also wearing the shirt that Ethan is wearing. Cool 20s. shirt. That's so yeah. great. So last week, Dr. Amy Hughes preached an amazing sermon about the gifts of the Spirit and prayer languages. If you weren't here last week, just go home right now. Like, just leave and go listen to the podcast. We, we will not be offended. It was so good. And part of what Amy talked about was how the church in Corinth was using the gifts of the Spirit in worship services. And there's this big, long section in chapters 13 and 14 that talk about what those gifts are for and when and how they're best used in the church. And then Paul addresses the fact that lots of people are misusing their gifts, they're disrupting the services, they're creating chaos, they're all talking They're trying to talk at the same time. Stop. I'm trying to say something. They're they're trying to speak in tongues, but they didn't know how to do that. They're trying to ask questions or interpret things that they didn't understand. And so Paul reminds them, hey, again, don't do things that will distract people from worship or from learning about Jesus. And it's actually right in the middle of this section that we see Paul tell women to be silent. And you want to know something interesting? Yes, Ethan. Tell us something interesting. (laughs) Thank you, Bryn. In this moment, Paul actually tells three groups of people to be silent in, the past, in this passage, not just the women. What? Who? <laughs> Thank We're you, really natural. Yeah, this is good, yeah. No, Paul actually tells three different groups of people to be silent in this passage. He tells people who are speaking in tongues without an interpreter to be silent. He tells people who are prophesying to be silent if someone else has a revelation from God while they're prophesying. And he tells women that have been asking questions in the middle of the service to be silent and ask about it after the service. Now, we don't know exactly what the women in this church were doing that was so disruptive, but we certainly know it wasn't the mere fact that they were speaking. Because back in chapter 11, they were clearly being encouraged to pray and prophesy and participate in worship and leadership among the men. And this is the same letter by the same person to the same people. The issue seems to be about asking questions in the middle of the service. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that they would have questions. Because again, women in the first century, most women in the first century, weren't able to receive any kind of formal education. So I think it's pretty understandable that when women were invited to participate in the full life of the church for the first time, that they would have a lot of questions. So Paul is validating their questions while also helping them know where better to ask them after the service, when they get home, so they don't create distraction and confusion for other people who are trying to worship during the service. Paul is talking about a particular situation in a particular church. He's not talking about how all women everywhere for all time should act. Friends, this passage is nuanced and kind of hard to navigate in a lot of ways. And we would love to talk to you more about it if you have more direct questions about any of the things that had to be trimmed in our 10,000-word sermon. But if we really sit down and unpack this passage and unpack what Paul is talking about, it just isn't about whether women should or shouldn't be in ministry or leadership. In fact, I think that Paul's actually encouraging women to minister and to lead. And here's the thing, Paul says this not only here, but he says this in word and in action all throughout his ministry and throughout all of his writings. 
In the biblical accounts of the early church and all throughout his letters, Paul recognizes women as deacons and preachers and pastors and apostles and co-laborers and church planters. He works with women, he relies on women, he trusts the teachings of women, he collaborates with women, and he uses the voice, his voice to elevate women in a world where that was absolutely unheard of. Paul is unapologetically pro-women in ministry and leadership, and we see that both in our passage today and all throughout Paul's ministry. And where do you think he got that idea from? Paul didn't make up anything on his own. Paul's own life had been changed. And in the new creation, he ordered everything he did through the lens of Christ. And nowhere do we see women more empowered, more celebrated, and more honored than in the story of Jesus. Jesus called women as disciples. Women traveled with him. They served alongside him. They learned at his feet. They funded his ministry. One of the first people to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah was a woman. Jesus healed women welcomed women, protected women, empowered women. He confided in women, learned from women. He called women by name. He respected women and honored women as examples to follow. I love how writer Dorothy Sayers put it. She said, it is no wonder that women were first at his cradle and last at his cross. But we know, right, we know that the cross didn't get the last word in that story. And how do we know? We know because of a woman. After Jesus rises from the dead, he shows himself to a woman, to his friend Mary. And then he tells her, go, tell my brothers, tell them the good news that I've risen from the dead. Jesus sends Mary, a woman, to tell the disciples what she's seen. And this was an interesting decision on Jesus' part, because in that day, a woman was not considered to be a reliable witness. Women were considered too gullible, too hysterical, too easily deceived to be trusted. But Jesus makes no place for that worldview in his new creation. And so Mary, Mary takes off running to tell her brothers, and I would have too. The first person to ever preach the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead was a woman. If we didn't listen to the preaching and teaching of women, then we never would have heard the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. There's a reason why Christianity took off among women in the early church. Many, the majority of early converts to Christianity were women. As historian Henry Chadwick said, he said, women were especially drawn to Christianity because it offered them a life that was so greatly superior to the life they otherwise would have led. How those early Christian women were treated and valued and honored and elevated was absolutely radical in that world. And as we learned from the Barbie movie. It's still pretty radical in ours as well. Our culture still has a long way to go when it comes to including and celebrating and following the leading contributions of women. But friends, we need everybody's voice in the body of Christ. We need your voice, however you're gifted, to share the good news of Jesus. So if you are a woman and you have been gifted by God to lead, then for God's sake, lead. God has blessed you with gifts, and if you do not use those gifts, then we as a community, as a body of Christ, are missing out on something that God has ordained you and given to you to bless us with as a community. And this church family is here to support you and advocate for you as you do that. And men, we want to encourage you too. 
own your power. <laughs> and also that's a <laughs> Ethan in the I am cannot sweatshirt. Didn't know you put that up there. Yeah. That's good. Um, but men, this is so important to, for you to own your power. As you are using your gifts, and please hear me, your gifts are so valuable to the church. Men's gifts are never diminished when women are empowered to use their gifts too. So men, as you are using your gifts, own your power to support and advocate for others to use their gifts too. Leverage whatever power you have to build others up in their giftedness, to make space for diverse voices, just like Jesus did for women and has done for you. As a woman in ministry, I have been so thankful for the incredible number of Christian men in my life, Christian brothers in my life who have affirmed my gifting, who have mentored me, who have handed me a microphone on their platforms, who have asked my opinion and used it, who have advocated for me, who have challenged the status quo that would keep me under a stained glass ceiling, and have listened to me about how we might change the system for the next generation in the church. If instead of doing those things, they had thrown their power away, if they denied it, ignored it, called it a women's issue for women to solve, if they had prescribed solutions without asking questions, if they had never made it personal, then I might not be serving in the church today, and there are other women who might not be serving in the church today either. Because women leaders multiply. Right now, in our church, we currently have 10 seminary-trained female preachers, including five ordained female ministers. And we've trained and sent out four other female ministers into other ministry fields since our church started in 2012. And even beyond these formal vocational leadership roles, women in our church are leading and serving in so many incredible ways. From serving as members of our board, and uh, advocating for the marginalized, from teaching our kids, putting on healthcare clinics, and creating art and music. And that is so, so important to the future of the church because seeing women serving in every area of church life is incredibly important to younger generations. And having the opportunity to serve and lead at every level, that affects the way girls grow up, how women and girls see themselves, how they experience God, and how they explore their God-given gifts to serve the world. And men and boys, too. Whether or not we have women in leadership can also affect how young boys learn to view women their relationship with women, and how they see their own gifts and callings in the church and beyond it. And this isn't just something for adults to figure out. Parents and caregivers and grandparents and teachers, we can start with our kids. My wife, Kayla, and I are expecting a baby girl. Her due date is in 10 days, which is so soon. <laughs> so soon. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so excited to meet her. I'm excited to learn her personality and see what excites her, what makes her laugh, what makes her sad, what she's passionate about. I'm excited to teach her that God loves her, to see who God made her to be and all the ways that God has gifted her. And I am so excited to encourage her to use the gifts that God has given her, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's in ministry, like her dad, or maybe it's in the medical field, like her mom. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's an education or as a stay-at-home parent or sports or the arts or whatever it is. I am so excited to teach her that God made her and called her in incredible and unique ways and to encourage her to pursue those things 
pursue those callings without limits. So friends, find ways to notice the God-given gifts that our kids are starting to display. Acknowledge our girls' uniqueness and strengths. What do you see in her character that you admire? Is there any leadership potential? Encourage her to pursue that and tell her why you respect and love her and her leadership and strength. Broaden her imagination. Point out strong women in life and in the Bible who are leading out of the ways that God has gifted them. Share ways. Help leadership roles seem like viable, important, and admirable options for women. And do the same for young boys, too. When we see men in non-traditional roles, affirm their creativity and their vulnerability. Teach them to express the full range of their emotions in a healthy way. Friends, God is so much bigger, and the work is so much greater than any one person, personality, voice, culture, ethnicity, country, century, or gender can ever communicate. And even though our world has a long way to go in this area, and even though the global church has a long way to go in this area, Jesus has created a new way, a new creation way. An invitation to all people to rediscover our life together in mutual equality, mutual dignity, and mutual partnership as co-workers, co-collaborators, and co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus, who is the one being who has authority in our church. So the church needs everyone to use our gifts, our stories, our perspectives, and our ideas for the kingdom of God and the good of the world. Whoever you are, Whatever your gender, however you are called, and however you are gifted, you are invited by scripture and by our church to proclaim loudly, just like the women in the Bible did, that Christ is risen from the dead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all of the ways that you have created a new path that you have made us as individuals, as a community, as a church, a new creation. And we pray for the people in this room who have received messages about their identity, about their gender, about their gifting, that have been confusing or painful. And we pray that you would draw, the, draw them in, that they would feel you seeing them and embracing them and feel empowered to follow who you are and how they're made. We pray that you would be with us as we seek to empower and encourage one another and the next generation. We pray that you would empower us as a community, as a church, to make this easier for the next generation so that they might multiply their voices, the voices that are proclaiming the good news of the resurrection, so that more and more people would come to see and hear and know you as their Lord and Savior. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.